And the story that we're basing out of today, uh, King Ahab was actually the king. And the scripture tells us that, that he was a very evil king and he was married to an also evil queen, Queen Jezebel. And, and they actually ushered in idol worship to the nation of, of Israel. And, and what they did is they ushered in this, these gods of Baal and, and Asherah to the kingdom, to, to the kingdom of, of Israel instead of following the one true God. So they kind of got off course. They really got off course is what happened. And this Baal that they worshiped was actually called the storm god. If you saw a picture of him, you'd actually see him with a lightning bolt in his, in his uh, hand. And he was actually responsible. They'd pray for him. They would do things for him because he would bring rain when it was supposed to rain. He would bring sunshine when it was supposed to, to have sunshine. And this was an agricultural nation. So it was very important that they had rain and sun at times because they could grow their grapes. They, grapes, they would be able to grow their grapes, their crops, and all these kind of things. And, and then they would actually be able to make more money because of all the success they had in their agricultural economy. And then there was this <laughs> this Asherah, who was, was actually a fertility god. And when they worshiped her, there was all kinds of sexual perversion and all kinds of things happening there. So what Israel was doing is they were abandoning the one true God to worship Baal and Asherah. They were actually abandoning God to worship uh, the, these idols that were related to money and sex. And that never happens to anything around us today, <laughs> does it? And we talked a while back about idols and what an idol is, is anything that takes the place of God. Anything that takes the place of, of, of God in our lives. If, if, if something is, is in first place other than God, then it be, has become an idol. And there's all kinds of things that become idols in, in our lives. Anything that gets in the way of us loving God first becomes an idol, becomes a priority. And, and God just hates that. So we're going to pick up the story in actually 1 Kings chapter 17, 1, and then we're going to jump over to 18 for our story today. But I want to get, kind of get you the background of, of what's happening here. 1 Kings chapter 17 says, Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. And God had told... <laughs> I told Elijah to go to Ahab and tell him there's not going to be any rain. Because of your idol worship, because of the way you have led this kingdom, I am going to make it not rain. And, and everything's going to go, go south for you. The, there was a famine like you've never seen before. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. Livestock was dying. There were no crops. People were starving. It was a, an awful, awful time. And God is trying to get the attention of an unrepentant Israel at this time. Verse 2. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. And what God is going to do is he, he delivers this message. He has Elijah deliver this message, and then he's going to go take him away because Jezebel and, and Ahab is going to try to kill Elijah, and he's going to protect him. Put him in an area where there is water. He's going to provide. Ravens are actually going to bring food to him, and he's going to be protected there. And then we get to the story what Jordan talked about actually last week where he, he befriends this widow and raises someone from the dead. But God is just preparing him for this next phase of what he is going to achieve, the next thing he's going to have a battle. And he tells him, Elijah, it's time for you to go back and confront King Ahab. And at this time, there's a gentleman by the name of Obadiah who was actually a, 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 a Jew. He was a God-fearing man. 
and, and trying to take care of everything he could, and he was part of the, the palace there. And so Elijah's walking back, and he sees Obadiah, and Obadiah is shocked to see him, and, <laughs> and Elijah says, hey, I'm gonna ha- I need to see Ahab. Can you get me an appointment with him, basically? And Obadiah says, oh, no, dude. I know what's going to happen. And there's something that obviously something unique has happened to Elijah because Obadiah says, I'm not going to go tell Ahab because what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit's going to whisk you away somewhere else and you're not going to be found and then he's going to kill me instead of you. So he's freaking out a little bit. And Elijah says, no, that's not going to be. I'm going to meet with Ahab. I'm telling you, just go get him. And so that's what, where this whole story starts is Obadiah goes and tells Ahab, Elijah's back and it's about to be game on. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 16. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so it is, is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? And here is King Ahab basically saying, hey, Elijah, you're the one that caused all this mess. You're the one who prayed, and it's, it's giving us rain, and now we're causing all this. Not taking any responsibility of his own is I've led Israel astray. I have worshiped people that I know that God doesn't want us to worship. But now I'm going to blame it on to Elijah. It goes on. says, I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshiped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. This Israel nation had given in to these idols. And, and Elijah is saying, I want you to get all the people, all, all your people who is actually basically on staff. You are paying these prophets. You are paying these 450 prophets of Baal and you are paying these 400 uh, prophets of, of Jezebel. And so I want you to gather all of those people and bring them to Mount Carmel. Because he, God has got to deal with this idol worship of his nation. God needs to first take out the idols of Baal and Asher before he can go any farther. And I want to remind us to come back to, come back to a point where, where Jesus, first of all, when he's asked from a, a religious leader of what's the most important commandment, we've talked about this time and time again here, but we keep coming back because it's at the core of, of who we are as Christ followers. It's the core of who we are as, as people who are, are, are following God. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter 22. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Everything bases on this. Because idol worship to God is a very, very big deal. And it is to this day a very, very big deal to God. As a matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, here's what it says. It's one of the Ten Commandments. We've all heard this, probably. It says this, you must not have any other God but me. That doesn't just quite sound right, because we've got to do it in King James, don't we? Thou shalt not have any God before me. God is serious about this. God wants to be first place in our lives. God wants to be first place. He's got to have the priority in our lives if life is going to go the way it's supposed to go. He wants all of our hearts, just not just as part of it. It's not just something that we do on the side that, you know, yeah, God is part of, a part of me, but I've got all this other stuff, and we try to balance everything. God says, no, I've got to have first place in your life. There can be no other idol. There can be no other God before me. And God's about to prove that, and it's about to be game on. 
verse 20. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silenced. He took them back to a moment. And he asked them, how long will you go, are you going to waver? How long are you going to go back and forth? How long are you going to, going to play this whole God thing over here and all this idol thing over here? Don't you understand that that's not the way it's supposed to be? That's not the way it is set up? You've got one foot in and you've got one foot out. And it's time for you to make a decision. If you're going to worship Baal, go worship Baal. But if you're going to worship God, then worship God. He's basically telling them, who are you going to serve? Who is going to take priority in your life? Are you going to get serious about this God thing? You just can't go back and forth. You can't have God as just as part of your life where, yeah, on Sunday mornings you come to go to church and, and, and you pray a little in the mornings and things and you just go out and you live your life like nothing else and no other decision is centered on who God is, who Jesus is on your life. He can't just be a part of your life. He's got to be at the center of everything, every decision that you make. And I think so often what we do is we hear about this heaven thing and this eternity thing, and, and it all sounds really good. But yet we don't give him everything in our lives. And, and we've been looking at, and when you were talking about all this year, about how it's about his kingdom, that we're here to build his kingdom, not our kingdom. We said, yeah, we want that eternity thing, we want that salvation thing, but then you start talking about holiness and sanctification and those are just fancy words of saying becoming more and more like Jesus, making decisions every day that makes us look more like Jesus. The way that we love, the way that we come alongside people, the way that, that we enter into our interactions with everything and everyone on earth so that we can bring a little bit more of his kingdom down to earth. He said, yeah, I, I, I want that, but man, that means I'm gonna have to sacrifice something. And Jesus tells us that we need to take up our cross and follow him daily. Yeah, I, I, I want the good ends of that, but does that mean I need to actually forgive this person that I've had this grudge against? Does that mean I have to actually love those people that I don't really agree with or I don't like who they are? You mean I'm actually going to have to give up that thing that's keeping me, God, first place, my idol in my life? You mean you really want me to serve and love and give and, and come alongside and do this wholeheartedly? to which Elijah would tell us, yes. You have got to quit wavering. I think it's just as important for us to understand that Elijah's talking to us today as well as he was to the Israelites in that time. You have got to quit wavering. You can't play both sides of this thing. Are you in or are you out? Back to the story in verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of my the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God, and all the people agreed. <laughs> and he lets them have this advantage. You get you, you get all the people, you get, you get to choose the actual bull. I want you to understand that I'm not rigging this whole thing. This is going to be my God versus your God, and we're going to see who comes through. 
Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. There's 450 against one here. They get to choose the bull. All the odds are stacked against Elijah. And understand here, now, they're going to put this sacrifice here, and whoever's God is going to light it. And remember who Baal is. He's the storm god. He is pictured with a lightning bolt in his hand. He, he, he's supposed to be able to, to control the sun. If there's anybody that can do it, it would be Baal, wouldn't it? So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. And they do this long, elaborate, enthusiastic prayer where they're, they're dancing and they're hobbling and they're doing all kinds of things. And they're praying earnestly. But it's to the wrong God. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is, he is a God. Perhaps he is daydreaming or he is relieving himself. I, this is what I love about the NLT version. You know, you get the other versions and they tell you other things, but we get down to the point here and just say, you know what, he may, he, maybe he's going to the bathroom and can't come right now. Or maybe he is away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. I love this. I'm not sure this is the best way to handle this, especially for us in our culture today. You know, let's not mock other people. But I just get this picture of Elijah leaning against a tree with his Diet Dr. Pepper in his hand, you know, and, and, and he's kind of making fun of them and, and going on with this, all this elaborate stuff they're doing, taking a sip every once in a while and just laughing on the inside because he knows what's about to happen. So they shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. And I think this is so crucial. This just jumped out at me when I was studying this. But still, there was no sound, no reply, no response. Do you catch that? They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. Remember, this is still the Israel nation. This is still the Jewish culture. They understand. They have been raised of what they are supposed to do. They know what the law of God is supposed to be done. And now it is time for the evening sacrifice. And there's this reminder that they're going to have is, oh, this is what we were supposed to be doing all along is following the one true God with this sacrifice. Then it was Elijah's turn. Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. There is so much in this, this one verse here. There, there is so much symbolism here and what, and what Elijah is actually doing. Is, first of all, it says he repaired the altar. The altar had been torn down. There wasn't an evening sacrifice anymore. There wasn't sacrifices that were happening because we've gone the other way. And so the altar is actually in disrepair. They used to sacrifice here, but now they are wavering between these other, these false gods. There's this picture of that there's something broken down and it needs to be repaired. And Elijah is starting to do that. He calls to them and he tells them to, to come in closer. He wants them to see and experience what is happening here. And there's this picture of, the, of these 12 tribes. He took 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. How they actually started, God started 
the, the nation of Israel with these 12 tri tribes. And at this point in history, the kingdom of, of, of Israel is divided into two different nations. To the south, there's Judah. To the north, there's Israel. And they're broken. They're, they don't have unity. They're, they're not talking to each other. And the symbol of bringing these 12 stones together is like bringing the Israelite nation back together. There's unity again. Bringing, their, bringing them back to their identity of who God is with them. That he is the king. That he is supposed to be the king. It's not about a nation. It's not about another king. It's not about a human person. It's not about anybody. It's about your relationship and what God has in store for you. Beautiful imagery there. It says, then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And they poured water over it again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. He is at all kinds of disadvantage. There's 450 of them. There's only one of him. They get to choose the bull. He takes the secondary bull. He has to rebuild his own altar. They pour water over it. There is no question if God shows up at this point. He is at a severe disadvantage. There can be no doubt with what's about to happen. Verse 36. And again, at the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice. The Israelite nation has got to be sitting here. These Jews who, who have been playing this game of, of wavering back and forth has got to be looking at this and saying, oh my gosh, we do have to decide. Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is significant also because when Moses asked God who, who, God was, who was speaking to him at the burning bush, he said, I am, the, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again, clicking into their minds of who they're dealing with here. He says, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command." Prove that this is all about you. Prove that I am just a servant, that you've asked me to do something, and that is why I am here. I am not here on a whim. I'm not trying to set up on a high horse. I'm just doing what you are telling me. I'm not trying to be prideful. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I did mock a little bit. But I want them to understand that this isn't about me. This is about you and what you were calling us as a nation to do. And he is also doing it under great peril because his life is in danger at all the time while he's doing this. He goes on and prays, oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, oh Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people, he's so concerned with those who are crowded around all of this. So the, so the our God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. And I love this picture because it's a picture of how patient God is. These people have been wavering. These people have been worshiping and doing all kinds of things they shouldn't have been doing with Baal and Asherah, forgetting and forsaking the one true God, that they've, they've left their first love, if you will. 
And they've let this, this king take them down to a path that they should never have been on. And it reminds me of the pictures of God we have even in the New Testament where Jesus tells a ter- parable of the prodigal son where the son goes and squanders all of his money and, and, and lives a lifestyle that he shouldn't be living. And he recognizes and comes back and we have this picture of the father running, being so patient and running to him and wrapping him and restoring him into the household. We have the parable of, of the lost coin where Someone loses a lost coin, and the woman of the household tears everything apart to find this one lost coin because it's so precious, and they celebrate finding this. Or the lost sheep, where we have 100 sheep, and there's one of them lost, and, and the shepherd leaves the 99 to go pursue the one. That God is so passionate, passionate to, to have a relationship with us and wanting us in relationship that he'll go to extreme measures to do it. He's patient and he's loving, and he's kind, and he wants to restore each and every one of us, including this nation that has gone the different way. Verse 38, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. And they've got this picture that they are the ones who've done something wrong. They are the ones who have sinned against God. They are the ones who have wavered. They are the ones who have gone against what God has asked them to do. And instead of burning them up, God burns up a sacrifice. They were the ones who deserved the punishment. And all of this points to another sacrifice. So many times that we realize that we deserve punishment, and yet God has done something spectacular and amazing. This fast sacrifice that he had of Jesus on the cross, this time when when God showed up in an ultimate display that, that, that God shows up as Jesus on this earth and enters into our world to show us what he is like. The extent that he would go to redeem each and every one of us. The extent that he would go to have a relationship with every one of us. Taking everything that we've ever done wrong, everything that we will ever do wrong, and paying the penalty on the cross in spectacular fashion. A sacrifice that we don't deserve. And everything now points back to that ultimate sacrifice, points back to that time that God did something absolutely amazing and once and for all taking care of sin. And so often we do, like I started today, we said, you know what, wouldn't it be cool if God would just show up like he did parting the Red Sea? Wouldn't it be cool if if God would just show up and show everyone like burning up this sacrifice in Elijah times? God has shown up in a spectacular fashion on a cross, and he continues to show up in spectacular fashions. We see it all the time if we just are looking for it. We see God show up in amazing ways by him transforming lives of people we are in relationship with. We we sometimes get caught up in wanting the spectacular thing that we miss the spectacular things that God is doing all the time. And there is story after story here amongst us that God is doing amazing things. 
as we watch marriages being repaired, as we watch relationships being restored. We see addictions being broken. We see people loving people and coming alongside them and, and, and helping them. We see it in, in these life transformations of people who, who all of a sudden things start clicking that how much God loves them and, and, and he starts working in their lives and become different people, different humans, and they start ushering in the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We watch people say, I want to take my faith, faith public by getting baptized, and we watch them in front of a crowd of people get baptized. We see people, as we saw last week, come forward and you just get prayed over and, and, and coming alongside and praying for people. It's amazing to watch God show up in all these spectacular ways and spectacular fashion. God is still doing the spectacular. And we, are, we have front rows to see it if we just open our eyes and understand. And I think what Elijah would ask us today is the same thing he would ask the Israelite nation at the time. Will you stop wavering? Will you quit playing with the world and having one foot in and one foot out? Will you commit? And we'll get to see God do even more spectacular things. Will you just quit wavering and follow me with your whole heart? What a message he has for us today. Would you pray with me? Father God, the spectacular story of Elijah and how you showed up. And even after the Israelite nation still made all kinds of mistakes and went the other way, and we do the same. But God, I just pray that you will help us and you will help us identify the things that are keeping us from having a wholehearted relationship with who you are. Would you expose the idols in all of our lives? And then would you open our eyes to see the spectacular, amazing things that you are doing in our church, in our community, in our world, even today. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory for it. It's in the powerful, mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.